0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Please Hustle Responsibly podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about organizing and unionization in the hospitality industry. Uh, We've got Caleb and Shannon here with us to enlighten us on what all of this means. Uh, But before we get into that, I was going to check in with Christina Magro and Christina Veltri and see how they've been doing since our last podcast. How are you doing, guys?
1: Oh, you know, New Year, same bullshit. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um... No, you know, I'm, I'm remaining positive. I'm still holding on to those words of wisdom that DJ Watson gave us a couple of weeks back. Um, and I'm just, you know, setting obtainable goals for myself, um, in this new year and I'm feeling good. I moved into a new place. So I feel like I got a nice, like restart, um, to 2021 and, uh, Although the world is burning, um, trying to focus on the things that are right in front
0: of me. Great. Beltry, how are you?
2: I'm feeling pretty good uh, in the same boat as mags, just staying positive, trying to stay busy and um, you know, finding balance while I have it. Because I assume that once I'm employed again, work-life balance won't exist. <laughs> Unless I make it happen. There you
3: go. You, <laughs> yeah. you set
2: boundaries. Yeah, boundaries
0: yes. are great. And yeah. those are so more I'm, of those I'm practicing goals.
2: now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody gave me some really great advice last week. And they said, you teach people how to treat you. So, maybe if you go into that new job, setting some hard boundaries, your work-life balance would be existent.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's
2: assuming that I will get a job.
1: I mean, I just, if anyone's <laughs> met you, you will get a job. If anyone does not hire Christina Beltry, you're just a silly, silly person. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Anyway, Matt Cole, how are you doing?
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm doing well. I kind of, kind of the same. Um, Had a couple of busy weeks and it's been nice to get back into a little bit of a slower pace this week and allow myself more space for the things that I want to do and the things that are important to me. Um, So that's been really nice. And uh, it's just like, you know, going from periods of not doing much into doing, a little bit more, just feels so much more uh, busy than it used to. So, just readjusting. But this is a, it's a beautiful day and it's a great week, and I'm happy to be here with y'all. Uh, Shannon and Caleb, how are y'all doing?
4: That at me,
0: Yeah, at both of <laughs> you. <laughs> uh,
4: I, no, now she was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> <back>. uh, <laughs> go
0: ahead.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> I'm good um yeah uh as good as it can be to be an unemployed bartender in this wild situation uh but yeah good
3: great yeah I'm How also good uh I, I mean the same you know it's that thing where like I wake <laughs> up in the morning and I'm like I guess I'm knitting today and that's that's my day every day uh and I feel like I've kind of settled into being more comfortable with being like, all right, I can, I can just exist. And I don't have to desperately try to fill my time and feel panicky about it. I can just be like, all right, guess I'm hanging out with our dog and uh, deciding the day is over as soon as the sun goes down at 4 p.m. And <laughs> that's where we're at.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Existing is great, especially when it's just like on your own terms.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all right cool well let's uh, let's hop into these questions uh, so on our last podcast, we were talking with Emily and Molly from the Chad project, and we were talking about accountability and When we started talking to them about um, what some of the moves that we could be making in hospitality to be more accountable, one of the things they brought up was uh, unionization and organization and that's not something that I am super knowledgeable on uh, so we're very glad to have you here because I know from multiple conversations with the both of you, that it's something that you guys know a whole lot about. Uh, and you're both involved with the IWW. Um, and we we're just curious, what led to your involvement with that?
4: You go for it, Shan. <laughs> cool.
3: Uh, I mean, we're all familiar with the ways in which uh, the hospitality industry can be super exploitative. Uh, I started working in hospitality when I was 15 and then have spent the last 10 years continuing to do that. Um, It has radicalized me in a way that I really don't know that any other industry or anything else could have. Uh, I spent a lot of my late teens and early 20s uh, very clumsily and without really having context for what I was doing trying to organize my coworkers, uh, after realizing things like, oh, there's money missing from our tip outs and, oh, there are industries where people get breaks. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, or like, oh, there are people who get eight hours off between shifts. Uh, what is that about? That's tight. Um,
2: just to to chime in real quick, there's also industries where if you work over eight hours, you (laughs) qualify for overtime
3: right what a world <laughs> uh and that is like, like three dollars an hour or whatever because your wage is six uh and eventually after facing a lot of hostility from uh management and being let go of from a job over it uh, and etc i started doing a lot of Uh, research and reading a lot more and reaching out to people a lot more who had a lot more experience with these types of things than I did. And nobody had ever really talked to me about unions uh, or worker solidarity or organizing uh, just because it is so hard to come by in this industry. Um, And eventually I realized that I needed a political home uh, because I lacked uh, the tools and the skills and language and context uh, and you know, backing uh, to make a difference uh, and to make any of the the wins that we were getting in any of the places I worked uh, to last. Um, So I was aware of the IWW because of their incredibly lengthy history in labor organizing. They've been around for, what, a hundred years? And... Over? What's
4: that? Uh, Over a hundred years, but yeah. Yeah,
3: like, yes. Uh, (laughs) And I were a big part of the very first labor movements in the US, which is incredible. Uh, and a thing that has really stood out to me about them uh, has always been that they have always been staunchly anti-capitalist um, and have always firmly believed in the power to create change being within workers uh, and not within uh, court systems or uh, paid organizers or um making handshake deals with management. Uh, And the idea of keeping organizing on shop floors uh, is really, really important to me. Uh, And then over this last, so I'd already like reached out and had met a lot of people within the IWW and that was great. Uh, And then this last summer, um, when we were working on Chicago restaurant workers, uh, a few IWW members were involved in that. And uh, that was when I officially became a member.
0: That's great. Uh, that's a that's an awesome answer. And It really like gives us a lot of jumping points for um, different things. Uh, Caleb, do you do you do you have a similar start into IWW, which is the industrial workers of the world? Since I didn't mention that before,
4: <laughs> thank you. If you if you weren't gonna do it, I, I was gonna do that <laughs> for sure. I was like, oh, maybe we should explain what. what yeah. The, the <laughs> I don't, everybody uh,
3: has like a h- incredibly solid base of
4: of union
3: knowledge
4: you Yo, I'm like in union or union organizing and I barely know what like the SEIU stands for so Talk, yeah for real. <laughs> or like the AFL-CIO there's, there's yes. so many damn ac- yes. acronyms
1: weird um, <laughs> <flux>, Caleb uh, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm, I'm just the weird acronyms. flex guy apparently damn dog it's full uh, of the acronyms you know <laughs> yeah no I'm actually reading a book right now called uh it's uh like called in I have it on my bookshelf it's like internal wars in in the in union organizing um it's it's wild uh but my my uh my answer is pretty similar to Shannon's honestly um I uh I was a little more cautious I have never been fired from a job for organizing but that's cuz I never really tried all that hard to organize people Um, I've talked about it with people, um, and then, like, I don't know, towards the end, like, right before COVID, uh, was happening, um, I started kind of asking people, asking around, like, different workplaces or people that I was working with or people that I knew in the industry, like, what their thoughts were on stuff. I asked a couple people who worked in, like, um, like, union shops, like, hotels, um, because hotels are are pretty well unionized under the uh i believe it's under unite here um which is itself a huge acronym uh but there so i kind of was like asking around different places i knew about the iww for a long time i've been like a radical quote-unquote for like (laughs) most of my life uh so i kind of was just like asking around about it and a lot of people who worked in those like those like uh, uh hotel shops were kind of like disillusioned by by their unions because they seem to be like very bureaucratic, very like, you know, they they were mad about a whole bunch of different stuff that like are not problems that I dealt with because I don't have a union in my in the place that I work. So, um yeah, uh over the summer, uh Shannon and I started working with the Chicago Restaurant Workers. um And uh, I ended up joining the IWW as well. Um, There's also a podcast uh, called Kino Lefter. Um, I will send you the, send y'all the link to that. They have a really good episode interviewing a late, I think she's a labor lawyer and she works with the IWW uh, but talking about Ellen's Stardust Diner, which I think we'll be talking about later. Yeah, I'll talk about that episode when we talk about <laughs>
3: that. Uh, she's one of the campaign organizers on that, and she's incredible.
0: Great, yeah, and if you send that to us, we can uh, link it to our resources for this for this episode. Um, cool, so I know this is kind of like a, a very broad question, uh, and there's probably a million answers to it, but... Uh, what would unionizing and hospitality look like, and how could it benefit hospitality workers
4: um, I mean yeah, that is a hugely broad question yeah. and when you uh, when you sent me the questions <clears throat> that 's probably the one that was like toughest to answer um, I was like i don't i don 't know it's like damn near impossible to blanket unionize the industry sure. there's a, a couple things that can that can happen early on when we were uh, when we were in CRW Chicago Restaurant Workers uh we met with some IWW folks and they were talking about this thing called um i think it's a uh an industrial branch which is basically like a broad union for a type of work um And uh, I've been thinking about that a little bit recently, but usually how unionizing works is you go, you go shop by shop. Like a shop has to, like a a workplace has to unionize. Um, So it's really tough to like actually get, uh, get like an industry wide union going. And there are like some, some things you can do, but. um, And the the reason for that
3: that is that it's really hard to leverage power. uh, If your entire shop is not leveraging power uh like you can walk into a workplace and be like i'm part of this union and your boss is like that's cool i don't give a shit uh (laughs) why do i care that you are like that a bunch of people within this industry are part of this like that that doesn't mean anything to me if it's not affecting my bottom line
0: so it's like a fernet coin yes (laughs) (laughs) literally one
3: cares and would prefer you don't talk about it
0: Uh, So, I mean, does that kind of play into the differences between, like, a a solidarity union model and a business union model? Go for it, Uh,
3: (laughs) uh, Yes. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Uh, It's – I mean, I think that both examples of those are still largely shop by shop, uh, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, And, I mean, we can can get into that. Uh, But just to circle back on, like, what – unionizing and hospitality uh looks like there are just a couple things that i want to touch on uh yeah. specifically something that caleb was talking about actually which i can let him talk about uh but that was like basically like the in, in our opinions i think i uh, not to put words in your mouth caleb but i think in both of our opinions i uh, the way to do that is shop by shop Uh, and then once you have some of those examples established that not only emboldens other people, uh, and empowers other people to feel like they can make that change in their own workplaces, uh, but also you can start building, um, networks within that, uh, that have, uh, more power than as well. It's like, if we can, uh, build like hardship funds and job boards and et cetera, within, a lot of unions versus just one that's a huge difference and it provides even more power to workers uh which is incredible um and would be kind of a kind of a goal for that uh Caleb did you want to go into that a little bit
4: sure I can talk about that a little bit um Mm -hmm. so I mean I basically agree with everything Shannon just said um uh yeah, we it, it really does, like you're building worker power in in a specific area. Um so uh solidarity unionism is basically where you in you the workers are are the union, right? Um uh a um whatchamacallit, uh uh business union yeah. is like you have like a top down hierarchy where you have organizers going into the shop and being like this is what we have to do we have to like make this action blah 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 um, whereas in a solidarity union you will like if you were to go and hit up the IWW and be like I want to start a union in my workplace we will send I'm actually uh, a we call them an organizing mentor uh, some people call it an external organizer um, they are people who work in a union who go to a shop and talk to the people who want to start a union in their workplace. Um, And we kind of like talk them through it a little bit, give trainings, um, kind of try and motivate them, touch base with them. But in the IWW especially, and like solidarity unions generally, um, what we're trying to do is, the only thing we're trying to do is like help workers. We're not trying to like tell them what to do like, the decisions ultimately are up to them, because we don't work in the shop, like, I don't know, like, I, I can only, I can only infer stuff from what you're telling me is happening in your shop, I, I don't know your boss, I don't know your coworkers. and, like, maybe I will be able, you know, I will be able to meet those people if you have a, like, like, in hospitality, it's, it's, uh, forward-facing, so, like, I I can de- I can probably meet your boss, you know, I can probably meet your coworkers mm-hmm. because you're working in a bar or a restaurant. So like I can just come in and like pretend that I'm just a regular patron and, you know, shoot the shit with people. Um so that's like the I think that's the biggest difference between a a business union and a solidarity union is that in a solidarity union the workers are the union. The workers make the decisions, the workers fight for their own power.
3: Uh yeah. I just want to say really quick, too, that a big difference that I think is important to touch on between solidarity and union or, uh, business unions is that solidarity unions happen uh, or make change on the shop floor and business unions, most of the change that happens is through uh, very, very uh, specific systems that are frequently through courts, right? And Mm -hmm. so there's a ton of lawyers involved and there's a ton of uh, work within court systems that a lot of people are hugely distrustful of, uh, myself included. And um, that to me is a really big deal is like, I think that you really defang a movement when you're like, all right, so now a lawyer is gonna take care of that and we'll talk to you all in six months and tell you what gets decided. Uh, And that I think is a great way to lose that anger and everything that makes people want to organize their workplace to be a better place. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to touch on that.
0: Yeah. When I was, uh, when I was reading a little bit about them, uh, over the past week, kind of seems like, you know, like you guys were saying, like Solidarity Union is like, we are, we are the people doing it. We are the ones that are, that are presenting our cases. We are the ones that are arguing for ourselves versus business union like you said with all the lawyers and everything and it seems like a lot of things only get done when there's like votes happening or like when elections are coming through involved in them and it's just kind of like well here's our power and things and you have them now and you tell us what works for us. Uh,
3: Absolutely and business unions tend to get really hairy in right-to-work states as well which Illinois is one um, Mm -hmm. with things like because of uh, right-to-work laws, which we often refer to as right-to-work-for-less laws because they are staunchly anti-worker, despite what that sounds like. Uh, like right-to-work laws include things like uh, banning mandatory dues payments for unions, right? So it's like in a lot of business unions, the way that your dues come out is straight from your paycheck, which is illegal in Illinois. Uh the way that solidarity re- unions get around that is that it's all volunteer-based. You don't have to join the union when you join a workplace. You can exist there without it. Uh, you don't necessarily benefit from those protections then, uh, but you can always join and it's volunteer-based and you're, you pay your dues because you want to, not because they're coming out of your bank account. Uh, and that allows, uh, also because there is not a uh, union election, Generally speaking, in solidarity mm-hmm. unions, uh, you're not campaigning for yes votes. Uh, you're more focused on creating direct action. You don't have to negotiate with the NLRB the way that business unions legally have to. Okay. Which is a huge, huge difference.
4: Um, oh, just oh, sorry.
0: Just no, no. Just, go, go, go ahead. Yeah.
4: <laughs> just to push back on that a little bit um, is that uh, they're often. Um, not hundred percent of the time, but often in there, there is still a union vote in, there is still a union vote in a solidarity union. Um, like you have to get, uh, 51, you have to get 50% plus one, 50% of your workplace. That doesn't include bosses and management. Uh, and we can maybe touch on that later. Doesn't really matter. Uh, 50% of the workers plus one have to vote yeah, that they will sign cards or um, you know, join the union.
3: Right, uh, but that doesn't have to be represented by the NLRB as a single organizing workforce or a single organizing force. Like when you have a union election within a business union, you generally, uh, essentially legally are saying that that is the thing that is going to negotiate for you is that union and that union alone. Uh, and when you aren't doing elections in that way, you can technically have several negotiating forces, uh, which makes it so that you aren't applicable to right-to-work laws, generally speaking.
4: Yeah. But I yeah, you agree- do still have to, yeah. like your co-workers still have to want it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still the work, yeah, the workplace is still organizing itself i I, have a question sorry
2: um so what you're saying is you can unionize without the buy-in of an employer uh
4: absolutely um a hundred percent you absolutely like uh fuck your employer sorry yeah. uh, but, <laughs> oh, okay. like it's not no, like department. like uh they yeah they they have no say i mean they have a say in being able to uh dissuade your coworkers and run uh horrific anti-union campaigns which include like um a bunch of heinously illegal stuff and a bunch of stuff you uh might not think are illegal but are technically illegal um you know, there's a bunch of ways they can run intimidation campaigns. Uh, they can run propaganda on why, like, the union's bad or whatever. Um, but you don't need your employer to sign off on it to become a solidarity union.
3: They also simply will not. Uh, <laughs> that is kind of the thing. I feel like that's a great question. It's a question that gets asked pretty often when I'm talking to people about this. Uh, I think because we are so conditioned to be like, how do how do I make this, how do I make my boss agree with this, uh, et cetera? Uh, the, the big question that I feel like I get is like, how do we make this look good to our bosses? How do we make this beneficial for our bosses? And yeah, absolutely, the short answer is you don't. Uh, the idea is that all of these, these things that you are appealing for change have happened because your boss chose that. Right. And if given the option, we'll choose it again. And even like the wokest hospitality groups are doing it. Like there's the wokest hospitality groups in Chicago are still paying their people $6, or I guess 8 now, an hour. High. And like, that's a choice that they are making every single day. And the way to gain power in that is to not give that option anymore. Is to straight up be like, this is we're not accepting this anymore. And like, it's not negotiating with your employer or getting them to see what you're looking for. It's saying like this, this ends now, and this is how it's going to be moving forward.
2: My follow-up question to that is that, I mean, the hospitality industry has been built on making people feel like they are replaceable. They are not Uh, an essential part of the business and if you stir the pot too much we can find somebody else I feel like like you said even the wokest business owners and like the most caring business owners still operate under that umbrella of if not outwardly making their employees feel like they are replaceable, they, they just do. So what is to stop an employer from just saying, like, all right, well, I mean, you're all out and we will have a new staff in a week.
4: Um, I mean, technically nothing. Uh, legally, legally, your boss cannot fire you for, uh, for talking about unionizing, for trying to unionize your workplace. But, like I said earlier, uh, businesses, especially in the restaurant industry, do heinously illegal shit all the fucking time, uh, and we generally have no recourse. Uh, wage theft in this country is the biggest form of monetary theft in the country, and that's done by bosses, and you can't, they can't get arrested for it. They can get yeah, fined that's for- something I
3: learned recently that I thought was really interesting and infuriating because I've just never considered it. Uh, and it's like, yeah, sure, wage theft is illegal, but like, it's not a jailable offense. It does not matter how much money your boss steals from you. It's not a jailable offense. It's a fine. Uh, and you can certainly go to jail for stealing from your boss, but your boss yeah. absolutely can't go to jail for stealing from you. And like that, even just that right there is so radicalizing and so... I uh, frustrating is not nearly a strong enough word I uh, and yeah
0: well then even <laughs> the fine that they get fined <laughs> for stealing from you it's not like it's going to you it's going to someone else
4: right right yeah
0: <laughs> so you're yeah. still getting fucked <laughs>
4: yeah yeah you're not getting any money from that um so what I try to impress upon people what I'm trying to impress upon the people in um that I'm an organizing mentor for uh recently to do in their one-on-ones is to remind people because a lot of people have this question a lot of people are scared like what's to stop my boss from firing me what's to stop your boss from firing you now there's like literally nothing the the um the campaign that i'm on right now is like a revolving door currently um there are people getting fired and let go of left and right for petty shit because management in that in that office is uh just like a bunch of petty assholes um so there's nothing stopping you from getting fired now um the only thing that's going to stop you from getting fired is uh having that organization in place having that solidarity union in place and i really i really want to make that clear that like it's it's the most frustrating thing to like get across to people Um, because they think, you know, you can just walk on eggshells around your boss, and you won't get fired, and they can literally fire you for anything.
2: Right, like if you're gonna get fired, you might as well get fired for doing the right thing, or trying to affect change.
0: For anything you believe in. Yeah,
2: Yeah, like, yeah.
0: Um, Uh, Well, I mean, go for it. Go for it. it. Uh, I was just gonna, (laughs) Caleb, go
4: for it. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, I was just going to say the preamble to the IWW Constitution, I don't have it memorized, but I have it pulled up. The first (laughs) paragraph is two simple sentences. The first sentence is, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. There can be no peace so long as hunger and want are found among millions of the working people and the few who make up the employing class have all the good things of life. And like, that is as true now as it was written a hundred and whatever years ago.
0: Uh, well, what I, was gonna, I was gonna ask, and uh, when we were talking about the Solidarity Unions and in regards to like everything that we were just talking about, uh, when we first talked about this, when I was talking with Shannon, she brought up the Stardust model. And, uh, and that's something that I did some research on and it's like a very, very, very interesting thing uh, and really incredible story. Um, And it kind of like encapsulates like little bits of everything that we've kind of been talking about this. So if you guys wouldn't mind like talking about the Stardust model with us and where that came from and how it's kind of built up a lot of movements, that would be awesome.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna (laughs) try to get through this like a little quickly and not get into too much detail because obviously there are people who are way more qualified to talk about it than I am. And a lot of the information I got about this is from a very specific podcast episode. Uh, The podcast is called Kino, K-I-N-O, Lefter. And the episode is called How to Fire Your Boss. Uh, It's super short. It's like a half hour long. It's great. Um, And I remember like the first time I listened to this being like, did I take my Adderall twice today? Or am I just like really stoked? And I was just like really stoked. Like it is so energizing and so hope inspiring and i feel like it's so easy to get really beaten down (laughs) in organizing this industry and to just be like well fuck it, it's impossible and i i hate it and i'm so tired uh and like just having like little moments of like oh my god yes things can be good (laughs) is so exciting uh and that was how this made me feel and i couldn't could not recommend it more but so essentially like the gist of the Stardust model is that uh Ellen Stardust Diner is a tourist atta- or two- blah, 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 tourist attraction uh in Times Square. Uh it's super popular. There's generally like lines down the block to go there. Uh generally the thing about it is that the front of house staff there are also trained performers who sing like show tunes and Broadway hits, uh, in between taking orders. Um it is always slammed, you know, super, super crazy, high volume place. In 2016, they created a union within the IWW uh, that was largely spurred by, I mean, the routine abuses of the hospitality industry uh, that then were um, inflamed by a complete management turnover that made everything worse. Um, And, Essentially, uh, they a lot of Stardust employees began reaching out to unions. Uh, the IWW is the only one that responded. Um, eventually, they created the Stardust Family United uh, Union, which is uh, incredible. Um, uh, and then, instead of leaning into uh, like legal technical aspects of organizing, uh, like signing authorization cards. Uh, they got comfortable asking each other what their issues were and what should be done to solve them. And uh, again, these are things that are typical of like solidarity unions. Uh, Instead of campaigning for yes votes for union elections outside of the like, yes, 50% plus one, uh, they build each other's skills as organizers, uh, which include like mapping workplaces and creating contact lists. and instead of demonstrating union support by wearing like pins and shirts, et cetera, I, uh, they directly disrupt workflow, which is incredible and so important. Uh, and in, this campaign is really, really interesting to me for a lot of reasons. A big one is that like there were legal aspects to this campaign. I, uh, when they first made this union public, uh, which is an interesting thing to talk about in unionizing, well, I guess I'll just go into it really quick. I, uh, Essentially, when you're organizing a union, you want to keep that as far away from your boss as you possibly can, uh, because the second that word gets out about that, there's likely going to be some pretty severe anti-union crackdowns. Um, And then when you're ready, you tend to go public uh, with your union, uh, but you have to be like very, very solid before you do that. Um, So when they did go public back in 2016, uh, their uh, management and ownership uh, immediately cracked down super hard, super hard anti-union uh, propaganda. There were two mass firings over the course of three months uh, where the first one, 16 employees were fired, and the second one, 15 employees, I believe, were fired. Uh, allegedly, it was for theft, but the uh, National Labor Relations Board found no evidence of that. Um, it took about a year, but they won that case uh, and received pack, or back pay, and everyone was offered their jobs back. Um, and the people who were involved in that had their uh, legal fees and a lot of help uh, surviving during that time, um, paid by like strike and hardship funds that are created by paying dues. Um, because again, like as much as it's like, yes, I believe in this, most of us can't survive without working for a year, right? Uh, so that was like the the kind of legal recourse in that action. Um, but most of it comes from, uh, most of their power comes from direct action, uh, which is incredible, which is like uh, examples of what they've done are picketing outside of the restaurant, uh, but also picketing outside of uh, Ellen Sturm, who is the, the mother of the person who owns this, it's uh, who Ellen Stardust Diner is named after, uh, outside of her apartment, <laughs> and just handing out leaflets that are like, meet Ellen Sturm, union buster. Uh, which is such a cool tactic that is, I mean, basically psychological warfare, which is done to us all the time. That is like, you know what? No, we're, we're not taking this anymore. And this is personal. Like you are personally responsible for doing this to us and we're going to, we're going to bring it back now. Um, A huge part of why this union was successful is that they, uh, they were able to organize the replacement workers, which are often referred to as scabs, uh, after those mass layoffs or mass firings happened, um, and they were able to do it so successfully that they were often having like IWW organizer trainings before these replacement workers were even on the floor yet. Like, all right, awesome, you're union trained, and now you can go learn how to serve here, uh, which is incredible. And radicalizing people before they're even on the floor is such a great way to start or to to keep that strong. Um, they, there is a fantastic example of a thing that I feel like most of us have seen at a lot of our workplaces where they have a lot of, you know, large parties, uh, there that'll be, you know, up to like a hundred people or whatever. Uh, these are naturally auto autograded. There was like money going missing from that or percentages were being skimmed off to pay, uh, event organizer, uh, commissions, um, et cetera. They, uh, The Stardust Family Union organized a march on the boss, uh, which was just during a dinner service. Uh, They did not walk out. They simply put everything down and went into a manager's office and said, this is when this will end. Like, this is how this ends. You are going to uh, not skim off of our percentage at all, ever. You're also going to raise our autograph percentage from 15 to 18%. And that's how you're gonna get your dinner service back right now. And they caved immediately. Because what else do you do? Um, there was another great example of uh, when the minimum wage went up to $15 an hour in New York, uh, that created a really weird pay structure in back a house where it was like, okay, a lot of line cooks then who had been there for, you know, years, all of a sudden were making the same amount of money as dishwashers who had been there for two weeks. And uh, they all sat down, came up with a, a pay structure that felt fair to everybody. Um, and organized a work stoppage in the middle of a friday night dinner service you know right at like seven o'clock just simply put everything down and said we're not gonna start working again until you promise us a meeting tomorrow tomorrow morning with our gm so that we can lay out like what we want the structure to look like there's a lot of like glad handing and like yeah of course absolutely we're totally gonna do that for you uh next morning this person was not there so they i uh, the next morning, right at right at like noon, when uh, this was uh, uh, this meeting was supposed to happen, they put down their uh, tools again, and all of a sudden, this GM appeared, right? And they the GM showed up with uh, an HR rep that was bilingual, um, and the Spanish speaking. Uh, people who worked in the kitchen had already asked a server that they trusted who was bilingual to you know kind of represent and translate them in this meeting and uh, when they sat down for this meeting the GM said hey like it's cool you don't need this person here we have we have this HR rep who uh, is is bilingual and will will help you out this person doesn't need to be here and they got to just do this really cool thing where they were like no we called this meeting you don't decide who's here this was us and we're doing this and this is how this is going to go and again their demands were met on the spot um and the really really cool thing about this method of organizing is that you can't overdo it uh and that's like the biggest takeaway for me is that it's like if you and your co-workers know that anytime there is something wrong they have like a thing where there there were like some stairs that led somewhere that were you know old and metal and people were like getting hurt on and they were like all right you guys have two weeks to to fix this and to make this more safe and those demands got met the next day because their bosses are generally terrified of them and that is like the energy that i want to see in the world (laughs) it's like your boss should be scared of you your boss should be afraid that you're gonna leverage power and cost them money uh and that is, like, how the coolest organizing gets done, in my opinion. Uh, and they, I, when I was doing research with this podcast, just learned that they have continued to do that through the pandemic. And guess who's all getting paid during the pandemic? Everyone in that diner. Uh, which is, again, just, like, an incredible example of something that I don't believe could have happened in a business union and certainly could not have happened without organizing. And that was a super long-winded way to explain that. But I <laughs> cool structure. Uh, and I would absolutely encourage everyone to do research on it because it's so energizing and helpful.
2: I think that you brought like all of that was amazing, but the one of the biggest things that I took away from it is whether it was conscious or not, like the knowledge that HR works for your employer and not for you and like advocating for your staff to speak for yourself rather than involving HR which is always going to side with the business and the business owner
3: right I think the first time I ever heard this I think Reagan Draper said it Reagan Draper from Chad said it in like a zoom call they were having one day that just HR is cops yeah And they are, like, HR is always there to protect your employer, they are literally never there to protect you, uh, and that is, like, a super important thing to recognize, because I think everybody gets burned on that hard, like, one time, and then it's like, oh, okay, and if you don't (laughs) have to make that mistake, that's great.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, even the name HR, the, what it stands for is human resources. They're treating (laughs) you like a fucking resource, they're not treating you like a goddamn human being, like, uh, uh, yeah. That's, that's all I wanted to (laughs) add. It just makes me real mad. Love that. Uh,
2: The last last HR person I spoke to, I told, shouldn't you be a resource for the humans and not a resource for the business? (laughs) And she just looked at me like, "Mm." I was like, sorry, I just don't (laughs) want to speak with you any longer. You do nothing for us. (laughs) Right. For
1: the majority of hospitality outlets, let's be honest, like the mom and pops, the smaller guys, like HR doesn't even close to exist. So usually HR is the same person in charge and HR usually is, uh, you're considered HR if you submit payroll, which is like a highly problematic thing, but I'm not even going to get into that. Yeah. So I like was an overstressed the and over-trained person. I was
0: pretty
3: sure, just our payroll person was our HR person. I literally don't even know who it was. I worked there for two years. I have no fucking idea. Was, like, <laughs> I, uh, y-
4: yes, I can. <laughs> I can answer. Yes, uh, our HR person was our payroll person.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever just like look at your life and are like, dear God? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Most of the time.
3: Hey. I mean, who, who isn't right <laughs> now?
1: You know, like honestly. At the rate that I was going, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs>
0: yeah, for yeah. real. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, well, I so kind of picking backing off of like what you were just saying, Shannon. There was something in there that I was really interested in, uh, and that was the the different methods that the front of house and the back of house brought to this model. Uh, because when we were talking about it, like, there's obviously so much difference in how both sides of a restaurant are treated, paid, uh, dealt with, like, it's, it's basically two completely separate entities, which it shouldn't be, uh, because, you know, that's, that's not what they tell you. It's like, we're all in this together. We're all, and we are.
3: Well, Uh, that's by design, right? Like, we know, we
0: know
3: that having to block a house, think that they are opposed to each other is incredibly beneficial to our bosses.
0: A hundred percent. Um, and is that something that, like, that could inhibit unionization? It seems like it's something that was made to be functional, in the Stardust model, but I, I doubt that they just all came together immediately. And we're like, okay, cool, we got this on our own separate fronts. Like, uh, I mean, like, what are what are some of the issues with that that could be present, and like, how do we, what do we, what can we do to change them?
3: I. So I think that the biggest thing that generally makes front house and back house feel like they are in opposition to each other and like I've worked on both sides of this. I've been a line cook and I've been a bartender and I feel like pretty comfortable talking about this. Um, A lot of it is pay structure, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And the way that we pay people within hospitality is fucked up on so many levels. It's like obviously not worth really, really delving into. But like, I think that the first... Um, barrier to break down when we talk about this. Uh, I know Caleb and I have talked about this a lot recently. Is just undoing this this thing in people's heads, including our own, uh, that says if somebody makes more, I'm going to make less. Like if I have to tip my back house, that's less money than I get, or whatever. Uh, different. There. I mean, there are so many different options when it comes to uh, bridging the gap of front of house and back house pay scale um, because it's fucked up for both parties. Um, Any of those options, I think people get really, really scared that they're going to lose uh, income and lose stability based on, you know, other people being able to have more. And I think that the really important thing to undo in our heads and to to reframe and to rewire is that, like, there's enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. There is. And, like... The fact that we are so afraid of losing anything is very intentional uh, and it has been done to us by our bosses. Um, and there, there is enough to go around. And like it, this scarcity thing where like people, we just like have it so ingrained in us that if somebody gets more, I get less. Uh, or that like bargaining for more power for these people means less power for me mm-hmm. uh, is is so ingrained in us, but can be undone and like, that happens by proving that like we can trust each other and that there is enough and that like front of house is not the enemy of back of house because of like tips etc your boss is everyone's enemy right like where where we end up um finding that we have enough to go around is when we take it back from our employers it's not when we all redistribute twenty dollars within each other like yeah. That's not what wealth redistribution is. Uh, I'm so frustrated seeing that a lot this year. Um, <laughs> it's it's when we say like, no, this, you know what? Maybe my boss doesn't get to make all 17 of the dollars that I, that this cocktail cost that I just made, that I made 300 of this hour. And they paid me $6 for that. $6 yeah. for that hour of like, how many $17 cocktails did I make? Uh, how many plates that cost $30 did you make? Like, when we like look at that and like frame it that way versus like, okay, well now I have to tip out back house. So now I'm making less money or whatever. I think that it's much easier for us to all like come together and be like, no, 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 no. Let's take that from our boss and not from each other.
0: Yeah. That's you know, it's, one
3: house more and split tips more equally. Let's whatever. There are so many options there, but it, it comes from your boss taking a hit, not y'all.
0: Yeah. And there's, and there's legal ways to do it. And it's, you know, paying servers more and then you can make adjustments and different things. And, it's funny, uh, I mean, it's not really funny, uh, but it's, you know, there's cooks that I've worked yeah. with that, that I've talked to that are like, you know, we're at the bar and they're like, oh man, the server made so much more money than me. and This is fucked up. And then when they go and open up their own place, they don't really change any kind of structure because then they realize like, oh, I have to pay them more in order to legally redistribute everything in an equal way. Uh, that seems kind of fucked up. And when I made my business plan, I didn't actually plan to pay anyone appropriately so right. uh point. fuck that right
3: <laughs> right and i think that that's been highlighted so much in these last few years and i'm seeing such an incredible resurgence of people being like you know what actually suck my boss which is awesome um yeah and at this point like i'm like i have no sympathy right like i have absolutely no sympathy for what my bosses are going through right now Like if you did not put into your business model what you were going to do if something crazy happened and how you were going to take care of your people and if you did not build your business around making sure that your employees were taken care of and paid in a way that was equitable and I I know this gets said a lot, but like if you can't afford to pay your people what you know they should be making, you can't afford to be a business and I don't give a shit about your vision and I don't give a shit about your passion and I don't give a shit about anything. You don't like, not everyone who wants to have a restaurant needs to, like.
1: Opening restaurants and bars on a shoestring budget is harmful and people yeah. stop doing it and then stop opening up other ones because mm-hmm. you think that that place is going to pay for your other place and then putting the responsibility on your employees to then make that place successful. Yeah, got uh, okay. it. If- don't stop fucking hearing all been in that situation. And it's like, it's not our jobs as employees to carry your business on the back because you didn't give us the tools to succeed from day one. Like if Mm -hmm. you don't have money to pay us, then like, maybe you should find a different hobby because this (laughs) hobby that you're clearly bad at, this is not business, you know?
0: Right. You got some money and you decide that you're going to open a restaurant, even though you've never done any kind of restaurant work, and you're just like, Oh, well, this guy's got three, so I'm going to open three, and all I'm going to do in involvement with the restaurant is come in and run up the bottom line by taking free drinks and free food without actually being a part of any kind of structure of it. Like, it but also, why, why, am, I, why yeah, am I not making more money not, now? You're
3: going right. to get all that
1: for your comps,
3: you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
3: more harmful than even just not being able to pay your employees well it's like cool if everyone who has ten thousand dollars in their bank account opens a restaurant what you also do is then just oversaturate the fuck out of Mm -hmm. the market and it's like all right cool now there's way more bars and restaurants in chicago than we can than people can afford to patronize and so all right cool so now already people like you have now already made it so that you can't pay your people but now neither can consumers like You can't even pretend that like your consumers are paying your employees wages anymore because there's literally just not enough of them. And it's like such a harmful cycle of like, yeah, of people being like, I will make up for my losses on my employees' backs. And it's harmful in so many ways and to so many people. And I think that it's, I think that it's very fair to be personally mad about it. Sure. I hate everyone I've ever worked for. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Would be like, why absolutely. am I angry about that?
1: Okay, so uh, this, this is actually perfect. This is a perfect segue. So, say I'm you, Shannon, and I hate everyone that I've worked for. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm sick of feeling this way, and I would like to create change. Like, what are the steps that I take as an employee? to start the unionization
3: process. Caleb, I think you should take that one.
4: Sure. Um, yeah. So I would probably start by shopping around a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. uh I obviously, uh, am a wobbly. I'm an IWW member, sorry, wobbly is our term for ourselves, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> I have my own personal <laughs> preference, um, but you know maybe maybe the Stardust model or maybe the i w w solidarity model isn't might not be the right fit or whatever shop around look look in your area obviously in Chicago there's a lot of resources maybe you're not in Chicago, maybe you're somewhere else. I would look online see what uh what unions exist in my area, what unions um like what unions unionize your type of work. Um, so in restaurants, it would be stuff like Unite Here, or um, uh, the I I know it doesn't sound like they do, but United Electrical uh, Union uh, is another solidarity union that does that unionizes all over the place. Um, I would email some people. You know, find, they all they usually have websites. They usually have phone numbers. You can call someone or email someone. Be like, "Hey, I'm interested. Can I get some information on this stuff?" Um, IWW, uh, we definitely have that. Uh, we're a little saturated right now with campaigns. We don't have uh, enough. We don't have enough people in the union who are trained up and willing to, or willing to be trained up, to start being external organizers currently, um, which is a problem but it's a good problem to have kind of we, we have we have more people interested than we have people to do the thing right mm-hmm. um so I, w- I would shop around first and then uh the next step would be start talking to your coworkers. um like we were talking about earlier don't don't blow up your spot don't make it like super public don't start don't start going to your coworker being like hey how do you feel about starting a union like that's a great way to get fired uh, um, that's a great way for your boss to start taking shifts from you. I would do too. That's yeah.
3: Awesome. What yeah,
0: do <laughs> yeah. Don't fucking do that.
4: Um, that said, you can start um, in the IWW. We have a template of like the process for organizing. It's AEIOU. The first step is agitate, the A. So start agitating your coworkers. Go, you know, talk about you know have a post-shift you know drink we we already do this anyway um like i the amount of times i've gone to the bar after work and just been like oh man today was fucking wild with like you know whoever um and kind of just like start agitating from there talk about their problems um the sec the next part of the e is educate so then you start talking about you know the union stuff like talk about whatever make sure you're doing all of that outside of work. Make sure it's with someone you think is trustworthy, um, who's not gonna snitch on you to the boss. Um, but like, start, start by just having those conversations with people at work and try and take it outside of work. Start, start talking about the problems um, and finding out uh, what problems are uh, widely felt in your restaurant or bar or whatever. Um, and find out what problems are deeply felt like and if you have a problem that is that venn diagram of widely felt and deeply felt like that's a good thing to organize around um, and that's how you can start organizing but definitely First start by
1: health insurance
3: yes
4: Big
1: <laughs>
3: that's
4: a fantastic
3: 100%. example of one that it's like you know what you want pack a house and front of house to be pissed the fuck off let's talk about health insurance, right? Or paid time off or like, you know, basic benefits like that, that we very often don't. And like, just to continue with what Caleb was saying, like for me, I think it's really, really important to practice empathy really, really hard before you start doing anything, right? Is by being like, yeah, when you're going for that post shift beer, like really listening to your coworkers about like what they're complaining about even though it's us just being like, oh my fucking God today sucked or whatever, like, Really listening to that and being like, why though? And then, like, learning, again, like, I was just talking about how to reframe, like, when somebody's like, God fucking damn it, this person called in again because they're sick and I got my ass kicked for it and I'm super pissed. Like, learning how to, like, undo that in our own heads and then help other people do it and being like, you're not mad at this person. You're mad that your boss didn't bother to, like, want to pay the people to uh, make sure you were properly staffed. And because of that, somebody calling in fucked everyone over and that's not on that person who was sick. Mm -hmm. And like, just reframing things like that is like a great way to just start, again, just like agitating.
4: Yeah. I I do want to say there's a fine line, right, um, on agitation because sometimes it just becomes a release valve. Like, you can just start bitching about work and that doesn't do anything like that amounts to nothing you're just like cool now i feel a little bit of catharsis because i talked about all these problems so now i don't have to do anything it's like i
2: assume assume somewhere in this acronym we're gonna get to like organizing which would be (laughs) which would be where it goes from just like bitching and releasing to like actually focusing on how to organize real change
3: yeah, like yeah. if you have a work somewhere that has a shift log and it starts off as like a really great thing, and then like three weeks later, you're like, oh, everyone hates each other and is like yelling about it here.
4: Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, brief rundown of that AEIOU. The O in there is organize. Uh, so, A is agitate, E is educate, I is inoculate, because you're, once you start unionizing, if once the boss finds out about it, they're going to start retaliating. They are going to do shit. They're going to you know, talk about why joining a union is bad and we're all a family and like do all this dumb bullshit that we already deal, have like dealt with for years. Um, so inoculate against that. Uh, o is organized. So that's when you're building your internal committee with people you trust. Um, and then U is like the union push is what, what they call it or like, yeah, or unionize is um, and that's kind of like, that. that's the end stage, basically. You have, you've built your internal committee. You've uh, done some, like, hopefully you've been able to do some actions that have gotten some gains for your coworkers, for you and your coworkers. And um, you're ready to, like, actually make that, like, of- official. Official, official, I guess. I don't know.
1: I have one really quick question. Um, so upon my research for this podcast i was like reading about google and what went on with google and how google is not essentially acknowledging the unionization of their employees so how does like how how can they do that number 1 and number 2 is that because they don't have 50 plus 1 people or like why is that happening?
3: I mean, my immediate answer to that is that, like, if your union is based around direct action, you don't fucking have to care if your employer acknowledges it. Uh, Ellen Stardust Diner has never acknowledged their union, but if your fucking workflow stops, you're not going to have a choice but to give into demands, et cetera. Like, uh, I'm sorry, Caleb, do you want
4: to? Yeah, I actually, I'm not, uh, I know, like, very... I, like, I know that Google start, Google employees started a union. Um, I don't know too much about the goings on there, but uh, I, I agree with Shannon. Like, it doesn't really, if you're, if you're organizing, if you're pushing your workplace, if you're doing direct actions, like work stoppages, marches on the boss, um, uh, there's a bunch of other, other stuff you can do. Um, this is actually a, a good, a good point. Uh, I want to touch on is um, especially in the restaurant industry. um, We have a tendency to want to make things like public, like quickly, we want to like, we want to do a big show of like our, our organizing effort. Um, That's not going to get your, that's not going to get the goods. If you don't have your, like, if you don't have the internal structure, like built up at least a little bit already, like that's a a recipe for disaster. I don't know if y'all saw what happened with, and I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage uh, them, but uh, what happened with uh, Collectivo in uh, uh, what is that Minneapolis? I can't remember where Collectivo is based out of, but uh, they tried to make a, it's it's a coffee chain. There's one in Chicago, um, but they tried to do a union campaign, and they started with like a, uh, like a very public facing petition. I think um, and as far as I know I've, I keep looking into it and I, I don't see any any more news on them like having a successful union effort and maybe maybe they are being successful a lot of that stuff is underground we in the IWW we're trying to work on talking about our victories a little bit more because you know we want to like make this more popular and, and show people that we actually get the goods. Um, but, uh, my assumption with the Google thing is, uh, that, yeah, if they're doing direct actions, it doesn't fucking matter. Like who cares if your boss acknowledges your union, if you acknowledge your union and have enough people to do an action that affects their bottom line, it's really about affecting their bottom line, right? Like at the end of the day, when you're doing all of that stuff, you're trying to, uh, you're, you're trying to hit them where it hurts. Um, And I really hope the Google employees are going to be able to do that. So yeah, that's my long, windy answer to
1: that. Moral of the story, it doesn't matter if it's acknowledged. And don't spill the beans too early, y'all.
0: Yeah, yes.
3: That was a big thing with Collectivo is that they were uh on the receiving end of a huge 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 anti-unionizing campaign by collectivo the second that people started talking about it i they started talking about closing shops which is a super common tactic uh in anti-unionizing is like your employer being like guess we have to close that store then and uh that's super common and uh other things like that and it was just like such an insane thing to watch a place called fucking collectivo be like, please, please, please don't organize. Like, oh my God. Uh, (laughs) I honestly forgot that that happened because this year has been such a nightmare. But I just remember being like, oh my God. Uh, (laughs) How fucking dumb can you get? Also like one thing to consider when, like something like Google or whatever, and obviously Google is a huge company that's already not very sympathetic. But when your employer does decide that they're not gonna recognize your union, they look like dicks. And to the public, they are much less sympathetic than, and look way more like they just don't care about their workers, which is uh, honestly a, not a bad thing for your union.
4: Yeah, really getting getting that like uh, uh, getting that as a thing to rally around is a, a good thing. Um, speaking of another like um, shut shut down, oh, another place that doesn't acknowledge didn't acknowledge unions. Um, Tartine Bakery in, uh, in the Bay Area at the beginning of 2020 had a big union effort. Uh, I think they unionized like two or four shops. I can't remember. And then pandemic happened and uh, uh, they closed like one or two of their most like heavily unionized shops. Um, I don't think... Like, yes, they used the pandemic as an excuse to close those shops, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the pandemic that uh, made them close those shops. I'm pretty sure it was that they unionized their workspace. So that's a thing that happens in these, these, like, larger places. Um, Obviously, a smaller, like, mom-and-pop shop can't really afford to do that or, you know, don't want to do that, but definitely in a larger place with, like, multiple locations, they can and will shut down a shop.
2: Well, and I think, you know, going off of Hit 'em Where It Hurts and what Shannon said earlier, like, if you can't afford to have a successful business that is also fair to your employees, then not everybody deserves a business. Like, no. if the union wipes out a store, or just the business in general, then it wasn't sustainable to begin with.
4: I I want to say I want to push back on that just a little bit. Okay. I uh, it, I think everything you said is is pretty spot on. Just that it's not about them not being able to afford to pay people in the in these instances. It's them not wanting uh, that show of that show of power against them of like mm-hmm. dual power or whatever like. Those, those fucking restaurants can afford to be open. They just choose not to be open because they want to intimidate people to, like, in their other shops, saying, like, look, this is what happens if you unionize. And Tartine is a great example because they publicly came out, again, like, the owners of Tartine Bakery were like, yeah, we don't want a union. We don't want unions in our in our shops.
3: Right, and I think that we'll see more and more, uh, like, public, uh and like general disillusionment and like disavowment from places that do that as we see like the labor movement have like a real comeback, which we're seeing the last few years like uh, labor organizing has had a huge resurgence and that will only continue based on wage gaps, etc. Uh, and I mean, in like the really, really radical days of labor organizing back when like the NLRB and et cetera were like still first being established, like the IWW was like, here's a shotgun and, and union backing and like, cool, if your boss says no, show up at his house. Like, and the more and more that we're able to be like, look, these, pe- like, these people are literally saying, like they're not beating around the bush, they're literally saying that they do not want you to have these things the more we're going to see like general outrage and you're not just going to see like the baristas at Tartine being like, this is fucked up. You're going to see like everyone in that community being like, what the fuck? Uh, This place that we thought was like a cool local business hates their workers (laughs) and we don't need to patronize it. And like the more radical shift towards like labor being a powerful and important body the more we're going to see that being able to be leveraged.
4: I also want to touch on that a little bit because uh, a big thing that we talk about in the IWW is that the workers get the goods. Um, like, yeah, getting the community mad and like uh, community based around a thing is really good and awesome. Um, but in general, boycotts uh, don't tend to work. Um, as like a as like an organizing tactic, um, mostly because you can't really tell that a like you can't really tell what a boycott is doing to a business. Like you don't have people coming in to coming in to be like, I'm not shopping here because you're not unionizing or whatever. Um, so that's like a tough thing. Things like the uh, Montgomery bus boycotts uh, in the in the was that in the 50s or 60s like can't remember off the top of my head um uh in the civil rights era was that they had a huge mobilized effort of uh of those boycotts and it lasted
1: over a year
4: exactly um so it takes a long time and it's uh you need like a lot of backing behind it before you can really like get the goods on that one um that's all i wanted to say
0: uh, well, I was going to ask how accountability could be benefited from unionization, but I think that we've really kind of uh, dived into that through the, <laughs> through the last little bit. Uh, and it's in almost every way because now we get to decide uh, what it is we want and what it is that we look for. And it's us making the demands and, and executing that and making that happen, uh, which is great because I think that our industry suffers from a huge lack of accountability on all fronts. Uh, be it workers, employers, managers, uh, HR, even to the customers. Um, so I think that anything that could benefit that is wildly beneficial to to us and to our industry. Um, so I just wanted to ask, uh, what does the future of hospitality look like to y'all?
3: This question is hilarious to me because when Caleb and I <laughs> talked about it, the first sentence we both like started with was just like, It dies entirely, as we know. (laughs) Uh, That's how it starts. Um, For me, there's a fantastic uh, series that was written by uh, a chef in New Orleans uh, who was also at one point owned a cart. Like he he wasn't an employer, but had a business Um, whose name is uh, God damn it! I'm not gonna say this right. Exactly. Um, Tunde Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, who wrote this really incredible series called Don't Bail Out the Restaurant Industry. Uh, and it literally begins with just we're on the cusp of everything to remain exactly the same. Uh, yeah. And the New Yorker did a really great piece on him recently that was just called The Case for Letting the Restaurant Industry Die that I hugely encourage everyone to look into because it was so eloquently written by someone who has done so much incredible work.
0: Oh, he's, he's fascinating.
3: He's Yeah, truly incredible. Um, but yeah, yeah anyways, he did
4: like uh, a He did, like, a little, sorry to cut you off, he did, like, a little series on, like, he started a, like, video series, Mm -hmm. like, talking, uh, I only, I only watched the first one, I, I don't know if there's, I haven't checked in on those, it was a while ago, but the first one was this, uh, like, Palestinian, uh, woman who owns a, like, a bakery in the Bay Area that was, like, working on, like, building her, her shop up uh like union wise as well and like doing a more like equitable thing and doing more community-based stuff um
0: yeah yeah his instagram is uh from lagos if you guys are interested in checking out some of his work
3: yeah absolutely do if you're listening to this because he's an incredible person and i feel like i have gained so much from reading everything that he's written it's incredible um and then, I mean, what Caleb and I talked about, really, with regards to answering this question, is that it's like we are both pretty staunchly anti-capitalist, and it's like I firmly believe that under capitalism, the only way that we can the the only thing that unionism does is uh, create not a not a band aid, but uh, it is a reactionary uh, defense mechanism for what capitalism is doing to us, right? Like, uh, and in order to like break that down, uh, for me, uh, one of the things that I find like so egregious and so offensive and so hurtful about uh, the way that hospitality is exploited in, uh, under capitalism is that like, I think that hospitality is one of the most important things in the world. I think that like being good to each other is so unbelievably important and like wanting to do that from a place of just like knowing how it feels to be taken care of and to feel cared for is incredible and like wanting to provide that to other people is amazing and like when we deprofessionalize the concept of hospitality and are like okay, it's just like us being good to each other and I want to do that and I don't want to do that in a way that makes me like a weird money-making resource or that means like I just take abuse like that is such a huge uh idea to me of like what I want to see I um change is like largely a refocusing on that which I don't believe can happen under capitalism and i know caleb that you had a, definitely some feelings about this as well <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah i wrote a whole like three pair four paragraphs i'm not gonna go into all of it
1: yeah give us uh, a note version <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 uh
4: but i think uh like i don't want to see any fucking managers i mean like straight up uh uh i i i want people to work uh in a restaurant and to run it as equals. Um, I want like we're showing people a good time right we're like in uh like we're we're inviting people in there are guests um which is something that gets weaponized against us a lot currently um and I want that part to stop I want the weaponization of like oh you're doing uh you're providing people a service you're doing you know you're have getting people to have a good time like so you have to be happy all the time you have to like fake it till you make it or whatever kind of bullshit like i want all that to stop um and i want i don't want just the uh the patrons to have a good time i want like our coworkers to be able to have a good time too and by that uh that means like being able to be like financially secure being able to feel safe in the workplace uh being able to like like not just like physically safe but like mentally emotionally like all this stuff um Like there is a huge problem with sexism, racism, uh, homophobia, transphobia. All of that stuff exists in the hospitality industry to a huge degree, and I, I really want that to like not be a thing anymore. And I think that starts what?
3: Nothing. Never mind. Let's (laughs) continue.
4: And I think that starts with like uh, building worker power and holding like having workers hold each other accountable um, to each other. Um, and to the question that Matt had, uh, that we kind of talked about throughout this whole thing is that currently the only people who are accountable are workers to their bosses. Other than that, there is no accountability. Um, and we, we gotta like change that. Like we keep us safe and, and we should keep that in mind.
2: I think that what both of you said was amazing answers. Um, I know for a fact that myself, Christina, and Matt talk a lot about the dehumanization of hospitality workers. And just like commenting on what you said, Shannon, about what hospitality is and how important it is not only like as a profession, but as a human. Hospitality is not a one sided thing. It's like as a host, you invite people in, and as a guest, you respect those people that invite you in because it should be a good time. I mean, the base level of it is throwing a party, but it's okay to make money off of that by having a restaurant or a bar. But the fact is, if you are a host, inviting people into your home. Those people don't disrespect you. Those people don't treat you like shit. They appreciate and respect the fact that you're not only nourishing them with food, (laughs) but you're also like nourishing their minds, nourishing, like you're, you're giving them a full experience and allowing them to, you know. Which is the way that like we treat each other in our personal relationships, right? It's like, if one of my friends is
3: upset, I'm like, I'm coming over, I'm making dinner, we're gonna sit. And even if we can't fix this, we're just gonna sit with it together, right? Like, that is like hospitality, just like in the world. And like, the way that I would treat like the people that I love and care about, and even strangers, you know, I is the same way that like, I want to be treated. And if part of that is like, okay, so this person that I love and care about, or just this person I don't know, but I'm, you know, being hospitable towards. Uh, if somebody is doing something awful to them and treating them in a way that is less than human, like, I'm going to kick their ass. And like, that's <laughs> that. And like, I want to see that same energy in hospitality. Like, I want to, like, I want to see people be like, I'm very aware that like you have to treat people the way that you want to be treated or like you're just gonna get your ass kicked like I'm tired this is where we're at uh, and it's
2: well and that directly relates to what Caleb is saying about racism homophobia like transphobia because that's not only a problem that's coming from the top it's a problem that's coming from the guests and is being inflicted on guests. Like, the fact is, these different people surround us on all sides. So if we're not inclusive, we're, like, you're attacking everyone. So Mm -hmm. being exclusive to different people is really just having a war zone within yourself and, like, you're not going to win. Like, you're going to have a guest that is of a different race, of a different cultural background, religion, sexuality. You're also going to have coworkers of this like so we can't just all be fighting each other otherwise there's no hospitality in that.
3: No, and like encouraging that behavior just like creates like a bigger problem in the rest of life, right? Like if somebody thinks they can get away with pe- treating people shitty in restaurants, like those are the same people you see on Fox News at a fucking <laughs> trump mob who then get fired from their jobs and are like i don't understand how that happened and it's like i I guess you've just been conditioned to think you can just get away with shit like this and that's not the real world and it doesn't need to happen in hospitality either Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if i if i had been if a if a guest in my home has had treated me the way i've been treated by some guests in uh the restaurants that i've worked at holy shit, like, they would not be in my house anymore. Like, <laughs> right, like right. kick the fuck out. Right. Uh, and it's like they- or-
2: <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Or if your family treated you the way your employers treated you, you would likely shut them the fuck out. Like, sorry,
4: 100%. Also like
2: 100%. that's a bo- like that's an actual bond by blood is family so you're like forced to love them to some extent but the fact is like using family as a weapon of treating people less than when you have no actual connection to these people is such a fu- fucked up psychological it's a manipulation technique. Yeah.
4: Yeah. absolutely and that's why i'm like
3: i feel nice no sympathy for employers who are like harmed like i think the my favorite example of the stardust campaign is the like we went to the owner's fucking mom's house and stood outside and we like they didn't even have any demands for that that wasn't even an action that was just like fuck it let's do it because it's like you know what we've been taking this for so long and like you you get to have it back a little bit now <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure Cool. well uh that was amazing. <laughs> uh, that was that was all great and uh, super informative. And I, uh, I mean, I, I'm really grateful for you guys to come on today and and share all this knowledge with us. Beltry, uh, Mags, you guys have any other questions?
1: No, I think we're good. Everything that we've referenced in this podcast uh, will be in the description with links, so you can check out that other podcast that they we're referring to and then the articles as well Um, and then we will also be funding or funding we will (laughs) uh, we will be um, taking questions if you have any additional questions for Shannon or Caleb please email us at info at pleasehustleresponsibly.org and we will make sure that we get those questions answered for you. Uh, We are starting this new year of 2021 of giving folks the tools that they need to better advocate for themselves in and outside of the workplace. So last week was accountability and today was unionization. So please feel free if you have any questions, reach out to us and uh, remember while you're out there, to please hustle responsibly. (laughs) Thanks everybody.
0: Thank you guys.
3: Thank
1: you.